We're going to be this morning um, looking in John chapter 15, verses 7 to 12, if you want to turn there in your Bibles or flip there on your phones, whichever way you do it, that's fine. And uh, as we're doing this study, we are learning how to experience God more, to hear his voice, to know and do the will of God. And uh, so the, the point of this, the point of our relationship with him is to get to know him better, to deepen our relationship with God. And so we have heard that God loves us and God invites us. And one of the things we're talking about today is what are we invited into or how do we take that invitation? How do we get to deepen our relationship with God? How do we deepen that relationship? I mean, if someone could give you advice on that to deepen your relationship maybe with your spouse, you know, if someone said, you know, I can have a much better relationship with you and your wife or you and your husband if you just take this advice. You'd want to sit down and listen to that advice because you want a deeper relationship. You'd say yes to that. Or if I was to uh, maybe introduce you to this person that you've always sort of admired from afar and I brought them, him or her, along to you and we met someplace and I said, you know, this person really wants to get to know you. They're, they're interested in you and, 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 and there's a way if I introduce you that, that you can have a deeper relationship with this person and you would be like, great, just tell me. I mean, I've, I've always admired them. I've always wanted to get to know them. How, how can I do that? How can I, how can I have a closer relationship with them? That's great. You know, or if a, a cute girl noticed you or a handsome guy, you singles out there, you know, and somebody came along and said, there's a way you can get to know them better. You'd be all ears, right? How, to, how would I know that? How, how would I do that? So if, if the God of the universe wants a relationship with you, if, if he's pursued you and desires to have a relationship with you, and he actually has a way that you can deepen that relationship, that would be good to know, wouldn't it? Right? If the God of the universe wanted a more intimate relationship with you. Because the Christian faith is not about knowing a bunch of rules the Christian faith is to know God, right? It's not about knowing a whole bunch of things. It's about knowing a person. And we're saved not because we're holy, but because we can know the one who is holy. And we're made pure not by being pure, but by knowing the one who is pure. And the, and the word that we often use in the church quite often is we talk about relationship. You can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can have a relationship with God. And we talk about our relationship with God. But there's an, an older word for that and a, a word that carries maybe a little more theological weight. And the, and, the weight. and the word that was used before we started talking about relationship was communion. We still use that word, right? But when I say communion, you think of that table over there. And you think about little cups and little pieces of bread. And, and that's what we think about. But that word communion is the word that we've kind of replaced with relationship. We're meant to have communion with God. And communion is really the state of our knowledge and affection with God. And it's not to be confused with union with Christ. Union with Christ is objective regardless of how we feel, right? When we come to Christ, when we repent, when we lay down our sword, when we give up the rebellion, when we realize we are bankrupt and have nothing to offer God, and we give our lives to Him and we say, it's all you, God, it's not me, rescue me, we have union with Christ. So I'm not talking about union with Christ. That's done and never changes once you have it. I'm talking about communion with Christ. And communion with Christ can ebb and flow. And certainly communion with Christ is meant to grow as we mature as Christians. Right? Like marriage. You're either married or you're not. Okay? Every day. You're never partly married. That's how our relationship with Christ is. Right? You're not 75% saved. Just like you're never 75% married. Okay? I hate to break the news to you. 
You are always all married all the time. That's just done. And that's union with Christ. You're done. You're married. Your union with Christ, your union with your spouse is objective, but your communion with your spouse varies, right? From day to day. And ideally, we hope that our communion with our spouse grows over time. And that's what we're talking about today. We're saying the God of the universe wants communion with you. He wants relationship with you. And there's a way that that can happen. And he invites us into it. And in John 15, and John 14 and 15, Jesus has been talking for a while now to his disciples about what it means to have communion with him, what it means to have a close, intimate relationship. And John 15, 1 to 6, uh, you may not recognize the passage, but that's the vine and the branches parable that Jesus tells, right? I am the vine and you are the branches. And he, he talks about the unity that he is trying to have with his disciples and how they can have that unity with him. And he goes on after talking about the vine and the branches, and he says in 15, 7 to 12, he says, If you abide or remain or dwell, you can use that word, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You see, so Jesus is now talking to His disciples. He's talking about abiding. He's talking about dwelling. He's talking about close relationship, intimate communion. And He's talking about how that works. How do we have this relationship and have this deepening love for God and love with God? And it comes to Jesus, His words and commandments. It starts out in chapter seven, in verse 7 there. He says, If you abide in Me and My words abide in you. So Jesus knows you, he's with you, when his word is with you. Right? Isn't that interesting? That's the first thing he said is, I'm with you, I'm dwelling with you, I'm in you, I'm abiding with you, and my words, or if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. And this is why it's wrong to separate knowing Jesus from knowing his word. If you want an intimate relationship with Jesus, you have to have an intimate relationship with his word. And I know that you've heard people talk like this. I heard it too many times myself. And I think people are trying to subtly trying to correct me in my approach to my faith maybe when they say it to me after they get to know me for a while. But you hear people like this, right? They sometimes say things like, oh, you know the Bible, but I know Jesus, right? Especially as Baptists, right? You Baptists, right? You worship a book. You know the book really well, but I know the person of Jesus. I have Jesus. And you, and you hear that, and maybe you hear somebody who says it, and they say it in kind of a really spiritual way, you know? how you know the book, but I know Jesus. And, and it kind of twigs something in you and it, and it starts to sound right. Maybe it sounds really spiritual to you, but it's false. It's, it's not at all what Jesus would say, right? I mean, of course we don't worship paper and ink, but the words of God are not just markings on a page. From the beginning of creation, when God speaks, God acts. When he speaks in creation, the world is made. When he speaks to Moses at Mount Sinai from the cloud, he is giving his law to his people. Where God's words are, you also find God. You never find God's word apart from God and his action. 
And so Jesus didn't just speak the Word of God. The Word of God manifested itself, which is such an awesome word. It manifested itself in Christ Jesus. The Word became flesh. There wasn't Jesus, and then He came along and spoke some words. There was the Word, and then Jesus manifested Himself. Jesus comes from the Word of God, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later on in verse 14 of John 1, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so you cannot separate a relationship from Jesus from a relationship with His Word. And Jesus Himself says, tells His disciples here, you want this vine and branches picture with Me? You want to abide in Me? and me in you, then my word must abide with you. So when the word dwells in you, when you know the word, you know Jesus. And so don't think that doctrine is a distraction, as if people who are really into a relationship with Jesus are sort of one kind of people who, you know, kind of have this personal relationship with Jesus, and then people who are into Scripture and the Bible and, and Bible study, there's, there's eggheads who are into doctrine. No, there's no separation. You're not into doctrine because of doctrine. You're into doctrine because you're into Jesus. You're into grace. You're into truth. And Jesus would say, if you are as into me as you think you are, then you are into my word because you can't separate them. So if someone comes to you or or comes to me and says, well, you know, you've got the Bible, but I've got Jesus. I say, look, if you love Jesus that much, then you should be loving his word because you cannot separate them. The word became flesh. The Word is Christ. And Jesus tells His disciples, you can't separate them. But it's more than that. Then Jesus goes on to say that we have to obey that Word in verse 10. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. And so this is what's going on. You you reach that point in your understanding of God as He has by His Spirit begun to open your spiritual eyes. Okay, So you're coming to know God. He's pursued you by His Holy Spirit. He's opened your eyes. And you've seen that the world, you've seen that your plans are infinitely inferior to Him. And you are drawn to know God more and know His Son more. And as you hear the Gospel and you understand what it means to begin to treasure Christ and treasure what He has done, And you just start to think, oh yes, I love God. I treasure Christ. I feel that love. I want to be able to abide in that love of God. I want that relationship to deepen, right? This is what's going on in the Christian life as we we first sort of open our hearts and our minds to God. And we think, yes, I want that. I want that love. I feel that love. I treasure Christ. That's good. That's exactly what you should feel and what you should want. You should want that. But Jesus then says... When you obey, you abide. When you obey, you dwell with me. And it doesn't, it just makes sense that that's true. Because if, if you're introduced to the God of the universe and your heart is just sort of bursting with that love for his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness for you, and he says, I have a word for you, and that word has become flesh and it's Jesus and he's done these things, and in that word, in my commandments, is all of who I am, all of my nature. Doesn't it make sense if you love God that much that you would want to listen to him? Isn't what Jesus is saying here just makes sense? Because God's commandments and God's word are a reflection of his character. God is pure and holy and righteous and just and honest and truthful and gracious and merciful. 
And so, that God commands you and me to take on that nature and character. God commands us to be pure and holy and righteous and just and honest and truthful and gracious and merciful. And if you say, I'm not interested in those commandments, but I sure love you, no, that doesn't work. Right? Those, those commandments are a reflection of God. You can't say, God, I love you, but yeah, your commandments, not so much. And God says, no, my commandments are me. My, mechan- my, my commandments, my word is my nature. You can't love me and not love them. They are me. If you reject my commandments, you're rejecting me. And if you love God, then we have to love his nature that's written in his commandments. And so Jesus says, your word is going to abide in, my word will abide in you, and you will abide in me, and if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Because this, this is how you deepen that relationship, just like that person that you always wanted to know, or that cute guy or that cute girl. right? You, you discover them, you, you love them, and you want to find out everything about them. You want to know their nature, how to please them, how, what they have in store for you. And so Jesus says, this is how you deepen communion with me. This is how you abide in my love. You have my word in you and you listen and obey to my commandments. He goes on, he says, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And so Jesus even uses himself as an example for us. He says, hey guys, this is how it works. Even between myself and the father. Like even as the Son of God, even as part of the Trinity, this love relationship, this abiding in perfect unity in the Trinity, this is how it happens. It's bound up in obedience or it's bound up in conformity to the perfect nature of God and His law and His commands. Even for Christ. And so if you look in Psalm 40, verses 7 to 8, It's one of the prophetic psalms talking about Jesus. And the writer of the psalms probably didn't know at the time that he was writing about Jesus at the time. But in Hebrews 10.5, the writer of Hebrews goes back to the psalms and inspired by the Holy Spirit shows us that that psalm is actually talking about Christ. He says in Hebrews 10.5, When Christ came into the world, he said, and then he goes on to quote Psalm 40, which reads, Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. Jesus, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written in my heart. This is what Jesus said when he came. I delight to do thy will, my God. Your law is in my heart. Notice Jesus didn't say, your law is my enemy, O God. And the psalmist didn't say that either. He didn't say, I run away from your law. Or I'm ashamed of your law. Or I'm going to change your law. Because it was good for the Old Testament, but New Testament's coming along, so I'm going to change it all. He didn't say that. He said, God's law is burned in his heart and he desires to obey it. I keep the Father's commandment and I abide in his love. The the invitation of God is an invitation of love, yes, but it's also an invitation to follow and obey what is right and good and holy and pure and redeeming and transforming, which is his word, it is his commandments. And Jesus tells his disciples in this chapters 14 and 15, in this most intimate time before he's going to the cross, he's saying, this is how we're going to have the communion. This is how we're going to have this relationship. My word is going to abide in you and you in me and my love will be with you and you'll have my commandments and you will obey them. But I just want to pause here and just remember here that commandment keeping is not salvation earning. Right? Remember, unity with Christ is not the same as communion with Christ. 
Jesus is not talking in these passages here about God's invitation to salvation. He's talking about God's invitation to dwelling in communion with Him and increasing in our love relationship with Him, of remaining and abiding and dwelling over the long haul in the love of God. That's, the, the, that's what, what He's talking about here. Right? John 3.16 is still in the Bible. God so loved that He sent... That he took the initiative. But that's, that's not what Jesus is teaching here. God loved first. God gave us the faith we needed to love him. And he gave us the spirit to see Jesus. Jesus isn't talking about salvation here. He's not saying obey my commands so that I can save you. Or obey my commands so you prove yourself good enough. He's saying it's by obeying my command, by having your word, that this love relationship is going to allow us to dwell together and grow in our communion. Romans 5.8 is still there. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, so it's still true. The love of God precedes my love of Jesus. God's love comes first and allows me to then love Him. I'm still a sinner and He dies to rescue me and enable me. That's in the Bible still. 1 John 4.19 Not that we loved Him, but He loved us. We love because He first loved us. And the only reason you're saved is because God loved first tracked us down, overthrew our rebellion, gave us faith, washed our sins by His blood. But what Jesus is talking about here is now what? Now that that love of God has pursued you and tracked you down and won you over, the text that we're in here is Jesus saying, how does that love grow? What love does God have for His people, for those that want deep communion with Him to dwell and remain and abide in Him? And Jesus says, it's when you have my word, when you have my commandments, and you keep those commandments. You can think of this relationship in this way, or this relationship deepening, or this deeper communion, as you would perhaps an earthly father. Right? A lot of sons and daughters get to an age, maybe 16 or 17, where if they would pause and reflect, they realize that the relationship they have with their dad has probably slowly deteriorated over time. Teenagers are already gone, so I can't ask them to put up their hand if that's the case. I'm sure they wouldn't. But you can think back to your own childhood, right? You can think back to your own teenage years and maybe your own dad. And I get it. We're talking about an earthly dad here. So you can think about him with all his faults, right? And we get to that age of 16 or 17 or 18, and that relationship has deteriorated. Even though we're dwelling with our father, we're not really abiding in him and his word, right? Our earthly father. And a teenager, or we might, in honesty, thinking back on those moments in a moment of clarity and honestly say, I I wish my relationship with my dad was better. And maybe right now you're living with regrets because your relationship with your dad never did get better. But if a teenager at the time was honest, they would say, you know, I wish my relationship was better. In the long run, I'm going to regret this distance and silence between us. I want to improve this relationship with my father. And of course, earthly fathers are tragically imperfect, unlike God who is perfect. But let's just give this hypothetical dad the benefit of the doubt, right? Let's assume this dad is making a good effort. He isn't perfect, but he's a loving, stable, honest father. And so as this teenager's thinking about this, the counselor might ask him, might say, well, how can you improve that relationship? Do you ever listen to what your father tells you? What? No. My dad's ancient. He has no idea what is going on in my life. He has all these corny old sayings, and I don't see how they even apply to my life today in modern North America, right? He's from like another world, so I don't listen to him. Okay, okay. 
Do you ever obey your father or do the things he asks or shows you that he's doing? Uh, no. Obey my dad? I'm a teenager. I have friends. I have things that we do. Everything he tells me to do is always building character. It's never fun. Right? And the counselor would just sit there and say, okay, okay, so you don't listen to your dad and you won't join him in what he's doing or follow his instruction, then what kind of relationship is it you're expecting to have with your father? Right? You're rejecting everything about him. You're rejecting his wishes. You're rejecting his will. You're rejecting the work that he does, the things he wants to do with you. That relationship is not going to deepen. And Christians are not always much different, right? We want the abiding without the obeying. We want the close fellowship without any of the actual effort in the relationship, without knowing God's will or being to do it. We want an experience of God that will provide for us and provide to us, but we want to be free to be involved in our own relationships with a whole bunch of other little gods in our life and not listen and do the things that our loving Father actually has in store for us that are good for us. Right? We do the same thing even with the God of the universe, with our Heavenly Father. Right? We want God's stuff and we want the benefits of having God, but we want to spend most of our time doing things our way. And this is what Jesus is trying to get across to his disciples. He says, if you want to abide in me and me abide in you, if you want this intimate communion, this growing, loving relationship, then you need your word. You need to listen to my word in your heart. You need to take in my word and you need to obey my commandments. This is how we deepen our relationship with God. And it just makes sense. It's what you would do in any deepening love relationship. Dwelling with God, knowing God Loving and being loved by God can't be separated from obeying the word of God. And it's for the God's glory and for our joy. That's what Jesus says in the text here. And you may have heard me use this phrase a dozen times, or depending on how long you know me, maybe hundreds of times before, right? I'll talk about how the things that we do or the things that God is doing is for God's glory and our joy. I say that little phrase a lot. I don't know if you remember it, but I, I use it all the time. And I tend to tack it on to every mention of the gospel or our salvation or the life that God calls us to or our sanctification or transformation or God's promises in our life or his will or his plan. You'll just hear me say it. It's for God's glory and our joy. And this text is one of the many places you see the truth that lies beside that. It's verse 7 and verse 8. Jesus explains why this loving and abiding and obeying is happening. He says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. By this, my Father is glorified. It's for God's glory that this relationship is happening. And then he says in verse 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It's for God's glory and it's for our joy. God's love towards us and our responding to that love by treasuring Christ and abiding in his words and obeying his commands have two giant purposes, God's glory and our joy. This is what God is trying to accomplish in the universe. His glory, our joy. Jesus says it straight out. This glorifies God when you prove yourself as disciples. And it's a win-win scenario. So that my joy, Jesus-level joy, can be in you and your joy is full. Can you imagine a better scenario than that? The God of the universe gets the glory he deserves. We get Jesus-level joy, tanked up, full-level joy, complete in us. This is what abiding in God's love is meant to accomplish. All the glory goes to God. You 
get joy. Right? Satan trembles, universe rejoices. And there's lots of other verses we could go to for this, but this is a great plan that God has. And Jesus just in a few simple sentences spells it out here. So now the question then is, what is the commandment, or what are the commandments that we obey? Right? If 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 the word of Christ is to abide in us and we are to obey his commandments, what is it? Well, all of God's commandments are good, all of them are profitable, all of them reflect the nature of God. So the long answer is all of them. And I'm not going to go through them all. But the short answer is the one that Jesus gives here. He answers the question in the very next verse. In fact, a little sidebar for you. If you ever run into a difficult passage and people say, what does this mean? Any answer to scripture in that virtually all the time can be answered this way. Just keep reading, right? You're reading something. You say, I don't understand. What does Jesus mean? Just keep reading, okay? The next few verses will sort it out for you. And Jesus tells you right here what it is. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, there you go. It's a win-win-win. God's glory, our joy, and what we have to do to accomplish this is love one another. Wow. God's glory and our joy is found in obedience and the obedience that God demands of us, this you know, heavenly Father, this strict God, what is he wagging his finger at us and telling us to do to accomplish this great glory to him and joy for us? You guys better love each other. Okay. <laughs> wow. Mean God. Okay, we'll love one another then. If that's our duty for delight, we just have to love one another. right? How, how could it be set up any better? We get to love God and satisfy His commands by just loving each other. And the obvious implication is if we're loving each other, then we're getting loved by others. So God, you've, you've arranged this so you get glory and I get joy and what I have to do is just love people and be loved. Awesome deal. Great deal. And I'm sure you're going to remember Jesus answering this way to the lawyer who asked him what the greatest commandment was in Matthew 22. He turns to the lawyer and he says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All of God's commands are about love. They're all about love. Or his apostle Paul says it this way in Romans, Romans 13, 8. He says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law or the commandments. Or in Galatians, Paul says it this way, Galatians 5, 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Or John says it in John 4, 21. And this commandment, we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Love is the great commandment. This is the word of God that's meant to abide in us, is love for God and love for one another. Love is the obedience, Jesus says, deepens our communion with him. Love is what bears the fruit that brings God glory. God loves us and invites us into obedience, and the obedience he's asking for is obedient love. Now, the reality is that this kind of obedient love can be hard, right? This kind of obedient love, in fact, is impossible. The love that God demands for himself and for others, we cannot do in our own flesh. Because that love obedience is going to take many shapes in our life, and many of those shapes that love takes is hard. There's no doubt about it. Being obedient in love is not all fairy dust and cotton candy, okay? Right? The love 
that God calls us to is love like Christ. And Christ's love took him to a cross. And Christ's love took him through a tomb. That's the love that God is calling us to. And so Jesus says in the very next verse, remember the little tip? Just keep reading. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And we could spend a lot of time unpacking what the phrase lay down his life means. It's a sacrificial love that God calls us to. That's where the obedience comes in. This is where we need the help because it's impossible for us to lay down our own life on our own. You think about that human father I mentioned before trying to love his teenage son. Parents, think of the laying down of your life that you have had to do for your children and we don't even do that perfectly for our own children that are right there. Right? We make decisions in our life for their joy and ultimately for our glory when they are happy, healthy, future citizens, right? But we lay down our life, we lay down our choices, we lay down our preferences for them and for their benefit, right? And that is what God is calling us to do for each other. It's a self-sacrificial love that on our own we will never do, right? Our flesh will well up time and time again and say, I want what I want. And we may be altruistic at times and and we may be generous at times, but ultimately we're going to organize our life so that we are the beneficiaries. And God says, no, I'm calling you to a deeper love relationship with myself and with others. I'm calling you to a love where you lay down your life, not take a bullet for the president, lay down your life, lay down your life every day. Like I would rather go golfing, but this person needs me. I would rather have a new Mustang, but there's missionaries that need help, right? I would rather have this retirement, but God's kingdom and God's people need my gifts. That's laying down your life daily. It's sacrificial love that we see in families as they spend hours counseling and teaching and encouraging, protecting, and even fighting for the safety and well-being of each other. Sacrificial love is hard, and that's the love that God calls us to obey. In our flesh, not even our best love that we work up in ourselves is enough to overcome our sinful nature. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us this kind of love and enable us to do it. And we obey in love by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the last five minutes, I'm going to put it all together in John 14, okay? We're going to look at a big text, but I don't want you to be scared because I'm going to summarize it all in a paragraph. But I just want you to see this because I want you to see how Jesus says it just a chapter earlier as he's talking to his disciples directly. If you go back to John 14, you can see this whole thing again. And Jesus is trying really hard to explain this to his disciples in several times in several different ways so they could get it, and now so that we can get it. And it's important that we cover this. And so Jesus is again talking to his disciples, and he's trying to explain to them how this relationship is going to continue after he's gone. Because that's where we are, right? Jesus is gone, and we want this deep communion, ever-abiding relationship with God. And he's telling the disciples how it's going to happen. They know Jesus is leaving them, but they didn't want to lose that communion that they had with him. They loved him, and they wanted to know that this relationship is going to continue to work, you know, going forward with him gone. And so in this text, I've tried to highlight it here so you can see the repetition of the points that Jesus is making about love and obedience and the spirit that Christians have and that the world doesn't have and the promise of God and Jesus dwelling or abiding in us. And so just as I read it, just see if you can pick up all of that here as Jesus explains it. John 14, 15 to 24, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see Me no more. But you will see Me, because I live in you, and you also will live. And in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest, there's that awesome word again, and manifest myself to him. Jesus is going to show up to you. And then Judas, not Iscariot, the other Judas, said to him, Because he's confused. He says, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Getting the repetition now? And my Father will love him, and he will come to him, and we will make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. You see how often Jesus is just saying it and saying it and saying it. Disciples, you got to get this. Three times he says it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And a fourth time he states it in reverse. And then he also says, this is a special relationship that you have that the world doesn't. Three times again, notice he says, the world cannot receive. The world will see me no more. I will manifest myself to the disciples, but not to the world. Three times Jesus is telling the disciples, you're mine and I'm yours. If you love me and keep my commandments and keep my words, the Spirit is yours. It's not the world's. They can't have this. They don't get this. It is for you, for you who love me. And without loving me, you can't have this. I won't manifest. I won't show myself or be present or have my home with you without this love, but I will manifest and I will make myself real to you and the Father and I will come and we will make a home with you if you love me and you obey my commandments and you will have the Holy Spirit to do it. Something the world cannot see, does not have, does not understand. And so Jesus draws a line down the center of the world. There are people that will receive him and people who won't. There are people who will love him and people who don't. There are people who obey his commands and people who don't. There are people with the Holy Spirit and people without. There are people who he and the Father will make a home with and people who they do not. And the defining quality of these people is that they love Jesus. They love his word and they obey his commandments. Jesus says, this is how it is. The world does not have this, but you have it. You have this deep, communing, abiding, dwelling love with me and the Father by the Holy Spirit. And that's how you get it. You get it through my word and through obeying me because what I have for you is good. And so there's an invitation to obedience that comes with God's love. When God invites you to that love, when he tracks you down and opens your eyes and you get that feeling of, yes, God, I love you and I love Jesus and I love what you've done, there's an invitation that comes with that love and it's the invitation to obey. God says, if you love me, you'll love my word. You'll follow it. And I know you can't do it, but I'll give you my Holy Spirit. Romans 5.8 is still in the Bible, right? We're saved by grace. There is no question. God acts first. But what Jesus is talking about here is is what that new relationship looks like, what loving God is. It's obedience. And so we cannot take 
knowing God's word and obeying God's word for granted. It is the way in which we have communion with God. If there were any concerns about the theology in our modern North American church or concerns if truth was being applied incorrectly, it may be in this one area. One major area of concern is the flow of obedience that comes from having grace take hold of us. Or rather, the concern is the absence of that obedience. There's a danger where grace is unapologetically taught as it should be. We teach grace unapologetically. The grace of God is overwhelming. But when we teach that way, there's also a selfish, sinful residue that almost always accompanies that says obedience isn't necessary. And people can easily grab hold of the concept of grace, but any strong call to obedience is labeled as legalism, as a way to avoid our duty. It's like they either forget or they don't acknowledge the part where Jesus said to the adulteress, go and from now on sin no more. This is the reality of of God's invitation. If you're wondering how to deepen your experience with God, if you're wondering how to know him more intimately, to hear his voice when he speaks, you have to know his word. You have to learn his commandments, treasure his son, let his spirit lead you into deeper and more frequent acts of love. The love of God compels us, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. The love of God compels us to minister to others in love. So I encourage you, know God's word, love God's word, love obeying God's good commandments. Let's pray. Father God, you've told us how to have this ongoing abiding in you. It's right there for us. Know your word, obey your commands. Father, we in our flesh just rebel against that naturally. Obey what? No. I want my things, my way. But Father, your commands are good, sweeter than honey, worth more than gold. And so Father, just help us as a people, help me to continually fall deeper and deeper in love with your word, to know your word, and to hear your command, and know that all of your commands are commands to love. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.